We stand today at the threshold of a great event, both in the life of the United Nations and in the life of mankind. This Universal Declaration of Human Rights may well become the international Magna Carta of all men everywhere. We hope its proclamation by the General Assembly will be an event comparable to the proclamation of the Declaration of the Rights of Man by the French people in 1789, the adoption of the Bill of Rights by the people of the United States, and the adoption of comparable declarations at different times in other countries. Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. That moment of democracy inspiration was Eleanor Roosevelt addressing the United Nations in 1948 on the adoption of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, August 31st. Moving from 1948 to today, I'm keeping my eye on major non-democracy developments this week that will impact our democracy for years to come. Looming deadlines in the coming month that will be the focus of federal debates and the implications of the end of the COVID eviction moratorium. As with last week, as we close out August, we're in a relatively quiet week for American democracy, but many things bubbling that will become major issues in the weeks to come. First, three broad developments that will echo across political campaigns and legislative debates for the coming year and more. This week, the American military completed its withdrawal from Afghanistan with over 122,000 people evacuated by U.S. forces since mid-August. But over 100 Americans and tens of thousands of Afghans seeking to flee in the face of full Taliban control remain in the country. While the Taliban has promised that all Americans will be allowed to exit, there's growing suspicion of whether that will be honored. And while the withdrawal itself was broadly supported, jockeying for how this plays out in the coming months and who gets blame or credit will be a political dance informing the midterm elections. This will likely reach a fever pitch in the next two weeks as we approach and then commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and carry with it energy that will impact the next round of policing and surveillance legislation, debates on America's role on the global stage, and potentially resurgent Islamophobia that poses a threat to our democracy. Here at home, Hurricane Henri became the first hurricane to hit Rhode Island in 30 years, and now Hurricane Ida has hit the Gulf Coast as a Category 4 storm, knocking out power to over a million people, including the whole of New Orleans. While deaths have been relatively low so far, and the $14.5 billion system of levees and other protections installed after Katrina seems to be working, experts expect it to take weeks or more to regain power, and there will be continued posturing around whether state and federal agencies reacted well and whether these storms are signs of something greater. What will it tell us about climate change and the need for action or not for those in the case of deniers? We'll be debating the impact of these and other hurricanes throughout the hurricane season. And as we debate the infrastructure bill, they'll be closely connected to one another. And finally, we're still stuck in the throes of COVID with the U.S. breaking through the 100,000 hospitalization case marker again. Resurgent use of medically unproven treatments, like this time horse dewormer because of disinformation. Ever heightening political posturing over mask mandates that are now headed to court with over a dozen cases being litigated. The Florida courts overturned Governor DeSantis's ban on mask mandates as a first major ruling. 
although the state of Florida withheld money from two school districts today as it appeals that ruling. And we even have the prospect of new travel bans, especially new guidance from the European Union to restrict travel from the U.S. due to our poor containment of the Delta variant. And this last week, the U.S. Department of Education opened investigations into whether bans on mask mandates in five Republican-controlled states violate the civil rights of students with disabilities. All of these developments echo and reinforce the polarization of politics in our democracy today and are throwing the course of future elections and frankly our country's ability to govern into even greater question. How will we react and continue to react in a pandemic that continues to roll on remains to be seen. On the more explicitly political front, there are several dates in September to keep your eye on that will be driving developments for our democracy in the month to come. There's the expiration of several major COVID relief programs, and there'll be debates around whether they should be extended or not. But there are also three big deadlines I'm watching. First, or perhaps last, given how Congress treats deadlines, Congress missed its July 31st deadline to raise the debt ceiling, leading the Treasury Department to begin using so-called extraordinary measures to keep the ceiling from being breached, but has warned that there are some scenarios in which those extraordinary measures may only last until mid or late September. The Congressional Budget Office estimates these measures will be exhausted likely by October, so Congress will be pushed to figure out a path to raise the debt ceiling in this coming month. Or as I said, maybe it's the last deadline because it could be early October in kind of final days before a default. Huge amount of bargaining and gamesmanship as the debate because Congress must pass a law to raise the debt ceiling. It cannot be done through executive action. Second, on September 14th, we'll see the outcome of the Newsom recall in California. Recent polls are looking a bit better for Newsom, but it's still projected to be a really close vote. And if Newsom is recalled, it will have huge national implications as one of the largest Democratic strongholds would likely end up with a far-right conservative governor until the end of 2022. Big mobilizations happening right now. Confusion about how to vote on the recall. Is it important to vote on the recall? And who's being communicated to? All helping inform you know, how are people engaged in California and how are voters around the country engaging in a post-Trump world? And third, to secure the passage of the $3.5 trillion budget blueprint last week in the House, as we know, a deal was cut with centrist Democrats. They set a September 27th deadline to vote on the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which means the House could vote on that bill weeks before the budget package is ready, even though progressives have said they won't vote on the infrastructure bill until they get to vote on the budget bill. Essentially, this is a debate of who gets the upper hand in negotiations. If the infrastructure bill goes for a vote first, centrists gain the upper hand. They get to be able to winnow down the later budget blueprint, the $3.5 trillion blueprint, because progressives will have lost the bargaining chip of threatening not to vote for the infrastructure bill if certain things get left out. Expect a lot more posturing, more 11th hour negotiations as pieces of this massive budget package and the commensurate tax increases are debated. This will occupy a huge amount of congressional attention. And one of the big fears is that with these deadlines looming, the possibility to pass the For the People Act or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act may wane. These deadlines must be met. We must raise the debt ceiling. And there's big energy to pass these two big spending packages 
whereas for the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act also need to be passed, but they don't have a deadline forcing action. And then finally, you know, the Supreme Court, as expected, overturned the federal evictions ban. The 6-3 majority noted that it, quote, strained credulity to believe that a decades-old statute that authorizes the CDC to implement measures like fumigation and pest extermination grants them the sweeping authority that it asserts. Furthermore, the Supreme Court noted that if a federally imposed eviction moratorium is, is to continue, Congress must specifically authorize it. Now, obviously, this has immediate impact of placing over 3.5 million households at the risk of eviction. It could be a massive wave of displacement after relative housing stability during COVID due to the moratorium. It also has long-term implications. Along with the efforts to rescind public health authority at the state and local level for how governments can fight future public health emergencies. Many of these emergency powers were created by Republicans 50 plus years ago, but in today's polarized environment, Republican legislators are leading the charge to reduce and restrain government authority, even in the face of disasters. So how this plays out and what it means both for our democracy in the next few weeks and months and in the next decade is something to really be paying attention to. Thanks for joining to hear a quick review of these key issues during the last week of summer. I'm Jason Franklin. It's Tuesday, August 31st. Thanks for joining 10 Minutes on Democracy.